Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense, common knowledge, or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do, but only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Before we begin, a note from our sponsor. I'm Richard Jacobs, Executive Director of the nonprofit Finding Genius Foundation and host of the Finding Genius Podcast. In late 2016, I was rear-ended at 65 miles an hour by a truck on the highway, which sent me off-road into a ditch. The impact of the collision gave me a concussion and other injuries. At the hospital, a CT scan showed that I had thyroid nodules, which turned out to be cancer. It was then, when I had a biopsy in my neck, that I realized, even if I was a millionaire, I wouldn't want a second or a third biopsy due to the pain and the invasiveness of it. And appointments at that time for thyroid experts were three to six months out. And I was worried about dying now, even if that was irrational. So because of this, I've decided to raise money to conduct a literature review on steroids, on the causes of anxiety and depression, a condition that affects well over 50 million people in the United States and hundreds of millions worldwide. Our goal is to create a codex, a guide, that reveals all possible treatments for anxiety and depression for people that live with the condition or for loved ones that have it, as my wife and my son do. To find out more about our fundraiser, visit FindingGeniusFoundation.org and click on Current Initiatives. And now, to our guest. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have uh, Xavier Fetweis. He's a research associate. He's part of the uh, Department of Geography. Xavier, first of all, thank you for coming. How are you doing today? Fine. Okay, very good. Tell me about your uh, your current research. It looks like you're studying, um, you know, the the formation and movement of ice sheets. Please let me know about your research. I'm studying uh, mainly both ice sheets, Greenland and Antarctica, and I'm developing a regional climate model for Mars with ice. And uh, my research is mainly about the current climate and future. It means that I provide for the IPC, for example, of both Greenland and Antarctica ice sheets. Okay, and how are the ice sheets measured? What kind of equipment is used nowadays? Yes, but clear that, either in, for example, in the Arctic Greenland, Greenland ice sheet, it's probably one of the areas over the world where we can see the larger impact. And it's clear that, for example, for Greenland ice sheet, every year, the Greenland ice of mass due to global. Oh, so you see every year, what, the Greenland and the Antarctic ice sheets are retreating consistently? They're not surging back to their previous levels? Uh, yes, for both ice sheets, every year there is a mass loss. And no, this last year, we haven't a year with a gain of mass. Every year, we, we have no last. What, what do you use to measure the ice sheets? What kind of equipment? Are you measuring the thickness of it, the uh, reflectivity, you know, the, the outlines of it? What do you measure? Uh, with, with the satellite, we can uh, measure the amount of uh, water mass, in fact, and we can compare the amount of ice, which uh, are above the continent, following each year. And with this, we can evaluate if the, uh, the ice sheet gain or, or lost mass. Look, here, 
my research is mainly above the surface of the ice sheet. I'm seeing the surface, of, and for the surface, we can we can have also some measurement. There are some station. There are some measurement. We can evaluate if at this station we have a gain. And uh, yes, for example, above the model, it very well. My model is able to, to simulate what we are observing. Well, again, what is being observed? Is the ice getting thinner? Is it covering less area? Is it, yeah, but, you know, yeah, receding? Yeah. Let me see one second. Um, is it receding evenly, or there's certain parts that are receding more than others? Yes, but for example, for the Greenland ice sheet, uh, Antarctica is a bit different. But for the Greenland ice sheet, yes, we, we see a thinning of the ice sheet, uh, in particular along the margin. And we can see also a retreat of a glacier uh, towards the towards, uh, inland. It's for, for the Greenland ice sheet. For Antarctica, it's more complex. So we cannot see a change at the surface of Antarctica because uh, currently the climate is still too cold and no melt, no surface melt in Antarctica. But what we, we see in Antarctica is the increase of the speed of uh, glacier discharge for iceberg in the sea. And we can see also a big uh, collapse of some uh, ice. Well, as a percentage of all the ice, how much ice is uh, going away each year or not returning? Yes. For example, for the Greenland ice sheet, it's about uh, 500 gigaton of water with every year. And for Antarctica, it's, uh, it's the same. Okay, the, the water is not lost. It's just changed from ice and it remains water instead of turning back into ice, right? But yeah. that's how you say it is it's, it's lost? Yes, it means that, every, in fact, every year, in the, for, for the recent year, everywhere, every year, the ice sheet put about two millimeters of sea level equivalent in, in the ocean. If either the Greenland ice sheet failed to form or the Antarctic one failed to form, I mean, what, what what would that mean? Or what do you project going forward over the next, let's say, you know, 50 or 100 years? Um, if the ice sheets keep melting this way, what do you think yeah, will happen? But the problem for the ice sheet, at the, for the end of this century, uh, the projection is, uh, for, for Greenland ice sheet, is sea level projection. For sea level rise contribution of about 20 meters. For Antarctica, it's between... Uh, 20 and, and even 1 meter of sea level. There are a lot of more Antarctica. But for, for example, for the problem for the Greenland ice sheet, if, look, if uh, the thinning of the Greenland ice sheet is too high, it means that the altitude of the surface of the ice sheet uh, will be a lot of, uh, lower than, than currently. And even if we come back to the next century to a more uh, normal climate, like now, for example, the, sheet, the altitude of the ice sheet could be too low be able to regrow uh, even in, in a normal time. And it is one of the problems, and mainly for the Greenland. And in this case, the, green, the, the melt of the Greenland ice sheet will continue in the future, even if uh, our climate is normal, and the contribution of Greenland ice sheet to the valorize will be 7 meters. Well, why does it seem like the Greenland ice sheet is melting more than the Antarctic ice sheet? Is that true, or are they melting evenly? Yes, the problem with the Greenland ice sheet is that already currently the Greenland ice sheet is melting. Uh, for Antarctica, the climate is too cold and we need big warming to start to, to melt. For but the, the problem of Antarctica is different. It's mainly the ocean, in fact, in Antarctica because 
Antarctica ice sheet is directly in contact with the ocean, and the ocean is even below the, the ice sheet because the, the mass of the ice in Antarctica is very uh, big amount of mass, and the continent of Antarctica is below. So it means that we have the ice sheet in surface, and below the, the, the ice sheet we have an ocean which is becoming more and more warm, and therefore it's perhaps uh, the, the uh, Antarctica ice sheet uh, can melt below the bottom of the ice sheet, and this could, could induce big instability in the Antarctica ice sheet. So a melt in surface for Antarctica is a melt uh, above, below the Antarctica uh, warmer. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click on support us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now, back to the show. So in Antarctica, is it just like a gigantic piece of ice floating, or is there land underneath it, or is there ocean underneath it? Ice is above, it's on the, the continent, no, it's not uh, floating ice, but below, between the ice and the continent, there are some, uh, in some area, there are ocean and warm water. Oh, really? So like a sandwich between the ice and the underlying earth, the underlying continent, you said there's some ocean intrusion. Is that what it looks like? I mean, like... So... In use, a big uh, crevasse and so on, and, and big instability. Why would there be uh, warmer water in there? Does it get trapped? Does it come in from the ocean and circulate under the ice? Or does it? are there discrete pockets that aren't open to the ocean, but that are um, isolated from everything? No, in fact, the, the ocean is uh, the water arrive uh, around that yeah, I should come from another area in the earth. There are current which bring more and more warm water to our ice. You say, you say that uh, there is some warm water underneath yes. the Antarctic ice sheet. What do you mean by warm? What temperatures are we talking about? Ah, yes, Ver- yes, versus yes. the ice itself and the you know the but surrounding it, air. It's uh, too. Uh, the freeze for, for uh, yes, it's uh, close to zero degree, but it's enough. Uh, currently, it's one or two degree uh, Celsius degree, but it's clear that at the end of this century, we we should have warmer water, uh, five degree, for example, and uh, it's clear that it's enough to, to melt everything. Currently, before the end of the era, the oceanic water was below zero degree, in fact, because of, uh, in the freezing point of, of ocean is minus and Therefore, uh, it was enough liquid water, but no melt of the ice. No, it's above. So, how does this uh, these pockets form? How do you have you been able to model that? Where do they come from? You know, the water underneath the ice. I do, I, I'm not a specialist of ocean, but for, for example, in my model, I'm simulating only the sphere. But uh, I think most of the water comes from the, the tropical area. So you think it intrudes underneath the the ice in Antarctica? It, the currents bring certain warmer water down there and it enters in underneath the ice and stays there and starts to melt it? If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. 
Yes, yes. Disturbi this could destabilize the, the, uh, the ice or the glacier. Well, has that been observed that the ice has been destabilized? Or does the water under there, under high pressure, is it? I mean, I would think there would be tremendous pressure underneath the ice if there is water there between the ice and the earth. So yeah, yes. that water at super high pressure, like what, what happens to it? Does it remain liquid even at, uh, at, you know, at zero temperatures? Or is uh, the yeah. water truly warmer and that's why it's, it's melting everything? Yeah, yes. Yeah, so the, the temperature can, can be... Uh, the water remains uh, liquid, it's clear. And uh, because a larger part of uh, Antarctica is in contact, direct in contact with ocean. And other, another problem for Antarctica is the ice shelf. In this case, it's a floating uh, ice, a piece of uh, ocean. This, uh, this uh, ice shelf uh, plays the role of, uh, like Bouchon, I think, Bouchon, of the bottle. And we have a lot of ice and ice shelf, some ice, some, uh, a lot, several big ice shelf. And uh, this ice shelf will disallow the ice to, uh, to flow towards the ocean. And if the ice shelf breaks, in this case, the ice can flow directly a lot of quicker ocean. And this could also induce a destabilization of Antarctica. And the ice shelf, which are uh, a flat platform of ice uh, as a surface of ocean, in, in for the ice shelf, we have a melt above the ice shelf at the surface because the altitude of ice shelf is level. And uh, the ice shelf melt also below the ice shelf. We, we have a melt above and below, and this induces break uh, of collapse of ice, ice shelf, knowing that ice shelf are the like a bushon of a bottle, and if you open the bushon, the bottle can... So in the Arctic, does the underlying mass of Greenland, does it act as a, uh, a source of heat to consistently melt the ice, or what causes the ice to melt there in particular? Uh, in Arctic, it's, it's more the atmosphere. We have a, a big warming uh, of atmosphere. In, For example, in Arctic, the warming rate is currently is one degree uh, by 10 years. If uh, Greenland and ice in Arctic melts is mainly because temperature are now uh, already in summer a lot of higher degree. And for example, even this uh, summer, even at the top of the ice sheet, observed summer rain and then uh, temperature above zero. Okay, so are you trying to model what will happen to the ice sheets over time? Like, what is your model specifically looking at? My, my model uh, simulates what's called the surface mass balance. The mass, the difference of the mass gain uh, by snowfall in winter minus the mass uh, lost by melt, uh, surface melt. In, and uh, this, and therefore, what we are interested for the ice sheet, which, which is interesting, is the mass balance, uh, evolution of mass balance. And for simulating the ice, the, the ice sheet, we need a model like me to, to have an, uh, what is occurring, currently occurring at the surface of the ice sheet. But we need also an ice sheet model, which will resolve the dynamic, dynamics of glacier and, and so on. And uh, therefore, the results of my model are used to force uh, ice sheet model. And uh, with this, we can have an idea of the total mass evolution. So what happens when, uh, you know, after the summer, when things melt, it starts to go back into winter? How does the ice sheet reform differently in recent years versus in the past? Yeah, yes. In fact, every year, uh, the mass, the, the ice sheet gained mass winter and lost mass in summer. And due to the gravity, in fact, we, we have in, we have two uh, areas in the ice sheet. We have an accumulation area at the top of the ice sheet 
where every year the ice sheet gain mass and uh, we have the ablation area along the margin of the ice sheet where every year the ice sheet uh, lost uh, mass. And due to the gravity and the uh, ice dynamics, the mass gain in the accumulation area is bring towards the ablation area. If the ice sheet is in equilibrium, the topography of the ice sheet uh, will remain the same. It means that the mass gain in the accumulation zone is equal to the mass loss. In Currently, what we are observed, we, we don't see an increase of accumulation in the area, but we see a big increase of melt in the ablation area, and therefore a thinning of the ablation area and a retreat. Is the, uh, the ice forming in other places? Or it only forms in the accumulation area, and it's just not accumulating as much as in years past? Yes, it is uh, ice only for, uh, formed in the accumulation area. It's the accumulation of the snow, and uh, after a couple of years, snow becomes ice, the pressure of the snow above the snow. And it is, uh, the ice altitude is three, kilom- is, uh, three kilometers, and if in, it is for this reason that we have an ice sheet there, for example, in the Vuinana ice sheet, because we have three kilometers of ice. If we remove the ice, even in the current climate, we, will, we should not form a new ice sheet. The Vuinana ice sheet is a result of the past. Okay? What, does that mean? what does that mean? So if, if there's existing ice, okay, so in the accumulation area in the Arctic, is there always existing ice there year-round, and the accumulation happens on top of existing ice? Or there are areas that have no ice in the summer, and it snows enough and accumulates enough to form a sheet. No, no, the ice sheet is there because uh, there are three kilometers of ice, and it means that the altitude of the top of the ice sheet is uh, an, an altitude where we have warm, where most of the precipitation uh, are snowfall, and we, uh, where we have no melt in summer. If we remove uh, the ice, the green ice sheet. And if we, uh, over the Greenland continent, even with the current climate, uh, a new uh, ice sheet cannot form. And therefore, the ice sheet, the Greenland ice sheet is a result of previous glaciological. Uh, well, I would guess that the edges of the ice sheet in the Arctic, you know, if the ice is retreating, there are now parts that used to have permanent ice that don't. So the, the parts that don't have permanent ice anymore, you know, it all melts in the summer. Do those areas tend not to reform with ice in the winter? Only the areas that have existing uh, ice? Yeah, yes, okay, I see. I see. No, in the summer, in fact, it is due if uh, the ice which is uh, lost by melt in summer, it is replaced during the winter by uh, the due thanks to the glacier dynamic. The, the glacier bring mass from the top of the ice sheet towards the, the ice sheet margin. And even if we lost mass every year in the ablation area, Due to the glacier, it's enough to maintain ice. So are the accumulation areas and the ablation areas separate, or they flow into one another? Are they right next to one another? Yeah, yes, yes, yes. But in fact, the accumulation area is uh, 50 or 90% of the ice, and the ablation area is only 10% of ice along the margin. But all the, in, in Greenland, uh, for example, uh, there is a, a lot of summer, uh, uh, snowfall precipitation, and all of this mass is enough to maintain in the ablation area. While in uh, several areas, we lost every year 10 meters of ice, but the glacier bring mass from the top of the ice towards this area. And even if we lost 10 meters of ice every summer, the ice remains. Well, so I'm trying to imagine what it looks like. So are the edges really what melts? Is that the ablation area, the edges of the ice? And they're just melting and not reforming as where they were. So the edges are coming in. Is that what the ice sheet looks like? 
or what does it look like over time? So the edges are coming in, but you still in the winter have glaciation that tries to reestablish the edges, right? Yes, yes. But it doesn't reestablish them as far out or like what changes every year? What's What does it look like, the ice sheet? How is it changing? Is it changing shape? Is it just getting smaller radially? Like how is it changing? Yes, but clear that with the global, due to global warming, we have more melt than before, and therefore, uh, in the edge of uh, ice sheet, the, we have we observe a thinning of, of the height of the ice, and also for some glacier, if you can glacier, some glacier retreat retreat of the glacier because the melt in summer is too high. And even due to the ice dynamic, it's not enough to bring enough new ice in this area. And therefore, we observe a retreat of peripheral glacier ice sheet of several kilometers. Okay, but it's on the edges you're seeing the... Okay, so the edges come in and don't reform as much. Is ice reforming in some parts and not in others? Is it uniformly retreating? Or is it retreating in some areas and not retreating in others? Or is it advancing in any areas? No, it's uh, it, for, it's clear that for Grenland ice sheet, it's a retreat every year, everywhere, every uh, area, and all around the ice edge. For Antarctica, there are some places uh, where uh, there is a mass gain, but in average, it's a mass. But for Antarctica, okay. as we have no melt in uh, no surface melt in summer, uh, it means that with uh, global warming at the beginning, uh, at least. Uh, global warming will increase the precipitation, precipitation uh, over Antarctica. It means that uh, with global warming, Antarctica will uh, gain mass in summer. Okay. When do you most notice the retreat of the ice? You know, in the summers, is it more apparent or in the winters, is it more apparent? I think it is in, in, the, summer, in the summer. And uh, for example, for some uh, glaciers, we can see a retreat every, every, uh, every summer. We, we see a retreat. At the, in fact, most of the time, most of the measurements are, are done at the end of And we compare each year, we compare the end of But do you also look at the winter, how much it, it waxes and wanes? Yes. It, sometimes uh, there are big accumulations. But... We can have big accumulation in during winter, but what we are, what we observe is that even uh, with the global warm, with with the impact of global warming, we have we observe no significant change of snow. It means that every every uh, year and every, every winter, the ice sheet uh, gains the same amount. And therefore, uh, what we see the impact of retreat, we can see the impact. What's the timeline of your projection? What are you seeing happening over the next? 10, 20, 50, 100 years. For example, clear that for if we want to melt the whole ice sheet, we need at least 1,000. And uh, but as explained earlier, the problem is to not pass, to not go above a tipping point. And uh, it's clear that with the worst scenario of CC, such tipping point could be reached before the end of. What would be reached the, before the end of the century? This century, before the, the, this, uh, the end of this century. It's what would, what would happen? What will happen before the end of the century, you think? If the tipping point of the ice sheet is reached, it means that Greenland ice sheet could completely melt, even if uh, we come back to a colder climate. Okay, so if, if the whole thing ends up melting, then will nothing reform in terms yes. of ice? Or what do you think would happen? It will be impossible to reform the, the ice sheet because... Due to the altitude, if the altitude, uh, the thickness of the ash is too low, the altitude will be uh, lower. It and we gain uh, one degree uh, by uh, above 100 meters of high. 
And uh, therefore, for example, the current altitude of Aishi is three kilometers. And if after several decades of big melt, the thickness of Aishi is two kilometers, it means that the temperature at the top of Aishi, even if we come back to normal climate, the temperature will be uh, five between five and ten degrees warmer than, uh, than before. How will the uh, Arctic ice sheet melt affect Antarctica? If it melts completely, let's say, uh, what will happen to Antarctica? Yes, uh, but in fact, due to the gravity again, uh, the, the water coming from the Greenland ice sheet goes to, towards the south sphere, and the, the water from Antarctica uh, goes towards the north. And if the Greenland ice sheet melts, this will increase the sea level in Antarctica. And as the Antarctica is very sensitive to ocean, it's clear that there is a, an impact for a, a huge Greenland ice sheet melt uh, toward Antarctica because in this case, induce a sea level rise in Antarctica and, uh, and therefore uh, an increase of, of melt by... Uh, All right, so do you think it'll accelerate changes in the Antarctic if yes, once yes. the Arctic melts? And do you think yes. the... Will the Arctic melt first or are they melting together, essentially? Uh, probably uh, the, the Arctic will melt first, but uh, currently, yes. I think at the beginning it's Arctic, but very quickly it will be also uh, Antarctic. Okay. So w what's next for your modeling? What are you trying to look at at this point and figure out? Are you refining the model or, or what's your goal at this point? Ah, yes, for the model, yes, but uh, it's clear that what we, uh, when we are, uh, we are developing a climate model, but we have, we need, to, first we need to, uh, to improve uh, the model by, uh, by uh, representing uh, new process or by improving the, some uh, process. It is one thing. One, another thing is to improve the speed of the model, the computer, uh, the computing speed of the model, uh, be able to use several CPU and some development in this. And uh, with my model, I plan also now to couple my model with other models. For example, we, we can couple my model with an ice sheet model. In this case, in my model, the ice sheet topography is fixed. And if my model is coupled with an ice sheet model, I, I will be able to take into account the deformation of the ice sheet. We can also couple my model with an ocean to better represent the interaction between atmosphere and ocean. For example, in there several uh, developments uh, like this. Probably it will be uh, the future of climate model is to have a climate model res resolving ice, uh, atmosphere, ocean, everything at the same time. And uh, what I plan also to do is to uh, the resolution of my model. For example, to, if I want to simulate some ice caps in Arctic, there also. Okay. Well, very good. Xavier, what's the best way for people to find out more about your work? Where can they go? I think the best is to go to to my web, website. Uh, okay. Would you mind giving the, uh, the you know, how to find you? Uh, probably yeah. people can Google your name might be the easiest. So it's. Yeah, yes. If, if we Google my name, we will find my website. And on my okay. website, there are some uh, results of my model. For, for example, we applied my model also in, in weather forecast mode over the ice sheet to anticipate the big melt event. Okay. Well, very good. Well, Xavier, thank you so much for coming and talking about your models and, and all this. It's very interesting. I appreciate it. Okay. You're welcome. You're welcome. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. 
If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.